What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to Thoughts by the Ville. DI is what you're doing Wednesday, where I bring you interesting people who do interesting things. We sit down, we have discussion, we find out what they're doing. Now, today I have with me a real estate broker and an author. We have Rakesha Smitherman. How you doing, Rakesha? I'm good. How you doing? Amazing. I'm glad that you uh, came and took the time out to talk with me today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. So uh, here, when we do what, what you do on Wednesday, one of the first things I like to do is get to know people a little bit. So instead of just saying, you know, tell me about yourself, because most people usually just go straight into talking about their business or whatever they're trying to promote. I'm just going to ask you a few questions about you. Is that okay with you? Sure. Okay. So where are you from? Originally, I'm from San Bernardino, California. Okay. So uh, where are you currently located? Out of Houston, Texas. Houston, Texas. Is it true that everything's bigger in Texas? Some things. Some things are. <laughs> <laughs> so what? What? Uh, why did you relocate to Texas, if you don't mind? I relocated to Texas just because um, my daughter, she was having some medical issues and they have some amazing medical care here. Awesome. And then there's a lot of opportunity here as well. Oh, that's, that's dope. That's how I ended up in the Atlanta area myself, not the, the, for the medical care, but just the opportunities. Uh, I was living down in South Georgia and it's really not a lot going on down there. So I had to get myself up here. Now, did you grow up in uh, California or so, yeah, you did because you said you really relocated by, because of your daughter. So you grew up in California. I did. I grew up in San Bernardino. And then um, I, when I was about 10 or 11, we moved to mm -hmm. Las Vegas. So I grew up on the West Coast. Las Vegas. I have a sister that lives in Las Vegas. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm sure you've been out there. Oh, yeah. Is there a, <laughs> I'm, <sure. laughs> I, I'm one of the few people that say Las Vegas is kind of overrated. But it's definitely a place that everybody should go at least once. Now, Absolutely. If you're a gambler, though, you're in heaven. But I'm not really much of a gambler. But there's a lot of different things to do there. I did have fun when I went there, but it was not like – it wasn't fun to the point where it was like, you know where I want to go again? Las Vegas. But it's definitely those place, nice place to visit. Everybody should go there and just experience that at least one time. So, I definitely think, you know, what you see on TV, depending on what you're coming to do, might not match it. Yeah, exactly. But, um, you know, same thing can be said about a lot of different places. So what was the life like for you growing up? I grew up um, in a two-parent household. We were, uh, I guess you could say, you know, in poverty or, or poor. Um, so I grew up seeing that um, it's a total of four of us, including me. So my mom has four kids. And so I just grew up, you know, seeing a, a family life, but a family that's, you know, that's struggling. Mm -hmm. that doesn't really have the tools or the resources to elevate themselves. Mm. I understand that. And the reason why I ask these questions is because I like to think that there may be someone out there that um, 
maybe in a similar civil situation to us. And I think that representation is a big thing. So there could be a, a teenager or a young adult out there that's listening to this right now and they hear, you know, okay, uh, 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 she's from here, she grew up like this, and look at her now. I just feel like that's a good, um, you know what I mean, just, just a good tidbit to put out there so that everybody can kind of see, you know, people from different lifestyles. Because we always see the highlight reel of people and we think, you know, I could never do this, I could never do that. And then you realize that people, most people come from similar situations as you did. That's why I like to get to know people a little bit before I start getting into, you know, their businesses or whatever they're doing. Most definitely. I'm like, you're, where you're at doesn't dictate, you know, where you can go. Exactly. Now, as I was reading through your bio that you sent, I noticed that the first thing that you said was that you're a homeowner. So I will assume that being a homeowner, home ownership is important to you. Is that correct? That is correct. Because I, I just figured out that when that's the first thing up there, you know, people, some people would have put, I'm a real estate agent, I'm a this, I'm a that. But the first thing it says is she is a homeowner. So why is home ownership so important to you? For me, it just represents stability. Um, like I said, I do have an eight-year-old daughter. So uh, my segue into home ownership was more so about my daughter than myself. Mm -hmm. I was already in real estate and I just hadn't purchased a home. But once I had my daughter, you know, it just became really clear. I kind of just got tired of, you know, the craziness with the landlords and jumping around. And I didn't really have control of my payment. And I wanted to give my daughter a stable place to say, you know, this is my house. I know I can always come home. Nice. Now, I talked to someone else that was in real estate before. And they had a particular opinion of, about home ownership. So I want to see what you think. This person told me that uh, home ownership isn't for everybody. How do you feel about that? I absolutely agree with that. I think it's um, a personal preference, and I also think it's where you're at in life. Your book, First Time Home Buyer's Workbook, 13 Steps to Get You Home. I like that, just the way you word that, to get you home. That's dope. <laughs> what inspired you to write to put this uh, book together? I put the book together just because that I've been in real estate over 10 years. I primarily work with first time buyers and um, I think just the overwhelming consensus as well as my, you know, my own personal story is that a lot of people have, um, I guess you would say misinformation about becoming a homeowner, whether it's, you know, it's going to be an overwhelming process. Um, there's no way I could do that. You know, that's going to be too much money. Um, I don't know anybody that owns a home. Um, you know, a lot of people have preconceived notions about it mm -hmm. so that, um, you know, they almost have a, um, I don't want to say a negative approach, but they almost have a, you know, this is unattainable attitude. So I wanted to put it out there, you know, to just put the information in writing that, you know, if you want to become a homeowner, get this book, follow these steps. This is a layman's terms guide. There's not a bunch of real estate terminology and it's written from a homeowner perspective. I've purchased three separate homes as a single woman on my own income that I didn't know anybody that owned a home when I purchased my own home Ooh. outside of my clients. Yeah. What, what would you say is the biggest common misconception of buying a home? Um, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is it's going to be, you know, 10, 20, $30,000. It's going to be a substantial amount of money for me to Ooh. be able to even get into this house. 
So on, on average, what would you say does it take to get into a house if you could? I don't know if that's possible. I'd say, you know, an entry level home, of course, entry level is different, you know, different parts of the country. But for example, in Houston, an entry level home runs about 175 to 200,000, depending if, you know, you're working with any down payment assistance or you're getting any seller closing costs. The typical person is coming up with between three and five thousand dollars, if that, because depending on what type of down payment assistance they get, they might, you know, need less than that and maybe even get a refund of some of the things they pay at closing. Nice. Now. What are some of the things you go over in this book, in these 13 steps? I go over um, the introduction. So basically, I said this is written from a homeowner perspective. It's kind of a do your due diligence, things you need to know, things you need to prepare. So I talk about knowing your credit. I talk about budgeting. I talk about some things that you should do, like I said, prior to ever even meeting with the lender, meeting with the realtor. And that includes doing something that I call a lifestyle budget, which is basically just setting yourself up for success. You don't want to purchase a house and be what we call house poor. Mm. Because typically when you're getting approved for a loan, the lender doesn't ask you about, you know, how much gas in your car a week do you spend? You know, are you paying for extracurriculars for your kids? Do you travel? Uh, maybe you go to the barbershop, happy hour, you know, whatever it is you like to do. They typically don't get into all of that, but we all know that those are things that you're going to still have to pay for. Definitely. So I really like to touch on that because, you know, just for example, if the lender says, oh, you know, you're approved for just say 300000 Well, before, you know, they even tell you that, you should know, okay, I don't want to spend just say more than 1200 a month. Tell me how much $1,200 a month is so that you don't get out here, you know, buying things that, yeah, it's beautiful, but now you can't afford to go anywhere but home. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, because I know some people, uh, that were in the market for a house and what shocked them was, you know, he had this idea of what he wanted, you know, what type of community, you know, how big of a house, gate, all this type of stuff. But then once going through the process of actually looking at houses, they realized that, you know, what they thought they could get, they could afford was out of their reach. Do you run into that a lot? I will say yes and no, and I think it depends on, of course, your income level, the market you're in, you know, depending on entry-level market, and then I also think it depends on expectations. I think a lot of people, you know, it depends on what age you're buying your house at, and then, of course, if you're retired, you know, if you're still working, because typically most people buying a, you know, their first house, this is their starter house. You're not at retirement age, you know, you're not trying to move your whole family in, you know, this is just a, a start or something, this is something to build off of. So I think that a lot of people, they watch, you know, HGTV and, you know, all these um, shows on TV that, you know, oh, my starter budget is 1.2 million. Yeah. That's not typical for, you know, the average buyer. So I think they come into it either expecting too much or they come into it where, you know, just if you walk into a house and it needs, you know, just say some paint and new appliances automatically it's a no. You know, I seen on HGTV, they had stainless steel. Yeah, but they also had a $1.5 million budget. Yeah. This is something that, you know, these are doable things. These are not, you know, substantial repair things. So I think a lot of people get into that where, you know, you see that model home, what, what they don't tell you about the model home is it has $100,000 worth of Ethan Allen furniture and $50,000 worth of repairs. Mm -hmm. If you can't afford that, you know, you're going to have to adjust your expectations. Yeah, 
Oh man, I, I had a a, a kind of a sidebar. I was in California January for my daughter's birthday. She lives out there in uh Stockton. Okay. And out the we were in we were in San Francisco at this time. We went to see the bridge and we went to get something to eat at uh dang, what was the name of that burger place? Super duper burger. We went to Super Duper Burger. Okay, okay. And you you familiar with Super Duper Burger? I am, Bay Area. Those, <laughs> hey, and those burgers were super duper, I tell you that. I got the super <laughs> duper sauce and everything. When I when I travel, I always tell people I don't want to eat anything I could get at home. I want to go to all places that I've never heard of before. But absolutely. Um, the thing that shocked me was this neighborhood that we were in. I thought it was just, you know, your regular Joe Schmo neighborhood. But it was like these I don't know if they would consider them townhouses, but to me, being from Atlanta, or living in Atlanta, I would call them townhouses. These little small houses, they're all connected side by side. They got the garages. I'm thinking these are just regular, normal people houses. When I say normal people, I mean just average working class people. But then, you know, people start moving around and I'm seeing the garages are opening and people are coming <laughs> in and out and I'm seeing Teslas and I'm seeing Porsches. And I'm like, wait a minute. Why is this guy driving a Tesla living in this house? And then I, they, my, uh, my people who live out there was like, yeah, that house probably, it, it probably he's probably paying like a half a million dollars for that house. I was like, what? So probably more than that in San Francisco. Really? <laughs> so, yes. That, that that was a shock to me. It was like the the value or or how houses are valued differently depending on where you are. That that was crazy to me. That was eye-opening. It definitely is. Um, San Francisco is one of the most expensive markets in the world. They're typically more expensive than even New York. Wow. So, you know, it, it definitely it does depend on location. So, of course, if you're trying to buy, you know, in San Francisco, you're, you're talking about some, you know, some major money to enter, enter the market. But if you're in, you know, Stockton or maybe Richmond, you know, you're going out a little further, Sacramento, okay, you can, you know, get some more things versus you're trying to be in the middle of the bay, you know, dead smack of San Francisco is going to cost you some change to live in. Yeah, because I, I literally, and, and I don't say this as a disrespect to anybody, but I literally saw a house, the house that had the Tesla was a house that I, that from the outside, I was like, I wouldn't want to stay there. Now, I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> sure the house, this is coming from straight uh, naivete. I don't know what, what, what the house looks on the inside or anything, but this is the house that the Tesla cat pulled out of. And this that's the one that caught my attention. I was like, what? This house is trash. But, hey, you know, like you said, the, the value of space and the value of, of a property based on where you want to live, you want to live smack dab, in the middle of the bay, hey, it's gonna cost you a little bit more. Wow. It is. It definitely some of the price points, you know, depending on certain cities can shock you. But if you go out thirty minutes, a good friend of mine lives in Sacramento. So I'm, you know, well aware of the different prices. She got her a condo for like ninety thousand first, you know, and she can drive to the bay. But yeah. like in San Francisco, you're not even gonna get literally a shack for probably less than half a million. Yeah. Cause see, they, they, um, like my daughter and her mom, they're out there for her mom's going to pharmacy school out there. So that's how they ended up in Stockton. And like you said, it's a major difference going from Stockton to, uh, to San Francisco. It was like, wow. But Elor, you also say, say that you work with investors. How do you, what do you, what do you do with investing in real estate? 
I focus um, on different investors. I've worked with foreign investors. I've worked with, you know, U.S.-based investors. And it really just depends on what their investment strategy is. Every investor literally has a different investment strategy. Mm-hmm. That could be a flip investment strategy. That could be a buy and hold, whether it's a hold for five years, hold for 10 years, an indefinite hold. It really depends on what your investment goal is. And then you also have first-time buyers that technically become investors if they buy like a multiplex. You know, I'm going to live in one unit and I'm going to rent the other one to, you know, three out. So it really just depends on what your approach is. And once I know what your approach is, then I know how to pull a property for you. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people talking about, the, um, you know, buying the, like you said, the the multiple unit houses and living in one and renting the rest out. Yes. And um, so, like, there's, there's something that you said that I that I don't know. Uh, so I wanted to see if you could elaborate a little bit more. You said uh, indefinite hold. What is that? That's people that are basically building a rental property portfolio. You know, mm-hmm. they want 50 houses, 100 houses, whatever their goal is, where every month they're getting that residual income. They're not buying it with, you know, I'm going to sell this in five years. And when the market goes up, it's I want that residual income coming in. I'm going to maintain this property and keep me a tenant in here to pay me every month. I'm seeing all over uh, social media nowadays where everybody's pumping this, pumping real estate, like real estate, real estate, real estate's the move, real estate's the move as far as like uh, in, investment wise. Do you, like, is that what I'm trying to get an understanding of? Is it really uh, uh, as, as simple a thing to get into as people are making it as for, you know, from the investment side, as far as, getting a rental property or a multiple unit? Is it really just the cakewalk that people are making it to be? I would say no. Um, Don't misunderstand me. It can be simple if you have the right information and the right Mm -hmm. team. But I think, you know, the average person that doesn't know anything about investing, you know, is on a very limited budget. You definitely have to be, you know, aware of what you're getting into because you can make a lot of money, but you could also lose a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know, you know, what to look for in a property, what your return on investment is, what your, you know, holding costs are, what the true, whether it's renovation or, you know, tenant costs, property management costs. If you don't know all that coming into it, nine times out of 10, it's not going to go well. And I feel like that's with any business. You should always have an entrance and an exit strategy and have a, you know, a business plan. How is this going to work? I have a random social media question, right? You may have seen this. Uh, 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 I'm pretty sure you've probably seen because it, it was it went viral, as they say. Have you? Did you see the video of the young lady who bought her boyfriend and a, a rental property for his birthday? I did see that. <laughs> okay. Now I, I was wanting I was wanting to ask you this. What do you think about that? Because people are really bashing the guy. What is your opinion on that? I definitely think his response was. Um, was just not a good response. It was very ungrateful. And I feel like um, her gifting that first off, I will say I'm not, I'm not a believer in, you know, buying boyfriend's property. Let me just put that out there. Yeah. But I feel like um, his response and her buying it definitely let you know that they were not on the same page. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if I, if I buy you this, I would assume I'm buying this because I think this is, you know, a great gift you like, and this is going to, you know, help us or put you on the map. But his response was, you know, we're in two different books. Yeah. He's talking about, you know, material things. She's talking about a wealth building tool. Yeah. Two and different messages. Yeah, and I, I look at it from both angles. Like, I was talking to my girlfriend about it yesterday. 
And her response was, "Well, that wasn't what he wanted. If you knew, if you knew the man, if you knew, he said that, but she knew because from the video, she said she, that he wasn't gonna like it. So it's like if you knew the man that the man didn't want it, it's like it's his birthday. Get him what he wants. So I get that part too. But like from your angle as in being in real estate and knowing what it can take." sometimes to get a rental property ready to rent do you do you think that may have influenced i'm not to think that that may have influenced his but do do you think that was really a good gift to give someone knowing what it can take to get a property ready i think if you give it to the right person it could be a great gift um but i also think that again it has to be that attitude you know if i mm -hmm. wanted a rolex my thought is how am i going to take this house and get me a rolex you know, but that's my approach to it. Everybody yeah. doesn't have that approach and everybody doesn't want to be a landlord. Yeah. You know, some people just don't want to get into that and it's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I was just wondering because like I noticed the first thing he said was, I'm not fixing that place up. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then, so it's like, you know, not knowing his financial status or whatever, but like you said, it just might be something that he doesn't want to, he didn't want to have to deal with. And, and that um, could be the case because it does take work. And uh, uh, yeah, I just thought that was wild, and I wanted to get your opinion because you you're into the um the whole real estate and everything. And I was like, because it shocked me. And at first, I was like, you dummy. But then I I always try to look at things from different angles. And I was like, well, maybe it's just he don't want to bother with it because my friends I know that have rental properties, some of them have great rental properties and everything's great and smooth. And some of them were just like, why did I why did I ever do this? in the first place <laughs> and that's definitely true and that's why i say it could go either way now um so back to back to the focus of the book if i was to come to you using not to give away because i know uh, authors don't like to give away too much of the book because what would be the purpose of you me reading the book if you came on here and told me everything that was in the book right but if i was to come to you uh and say hey I want to buy a house. What would be the initial things that you would tell me to do to get started? Um, the first thing I would tell you to do is knowing your credit. Um, because it just from a standpoint of just knowing literally what's on your credit, you can find that information out for free. You know, do I have positive accounts? Do I have negative accounts? Do I have both? Do I have no accounts? So that you, you know, have a general idea. You can pull the credit report for free. You can use Credit Karma. Now, keep in mind, Credit Karma is a Vantage score. It's not a FICO score, but it's a great tool basically just what's, to track the trend of your credit. What's the difference? Vantage is basically a different scoring model. So Vantage is used by Credit Karma, Capital One, CreditWise. Um, like I said, it's a different scoring model. Typical okay. lenders do not use the Vantage score, mm -hmm. but I think, again, it, it's a great tool from the standpoint of you can just track the trend. You know, is my credit going up? Is it going down? Did anything negative hit my credit? Did a new account open? You know, you can track your credit. Okay. So going, going back into that initial initial question, we're checking the credit and, and then um, seeing where we're at with that and then what's next. And then it would be the evaluating your finances and making sure that, you know, of course, you have some sort of income, rather that, you know, working, retirement, disability, um, you know, rental income, whatever your income is, just knowing where you stand on that. You know, have you filed your taxes? Can you prove your income, whether it's check stubs, bank statements, you know, disability letter, whatever that may be. And then making sure you have that documentation together. 
So for example, if you hadn't filed your taxes, either you'd be looking for a product that doesn't require that, which is a non-traditional product, or let me go ahead and get that squared away so that, you know, when I go sit down with the lender, I got all my paperwork. And so basically this book, the first time home buyers workbook, 13 steps to get you home, walk, will walk you through step-by-step step that the process of getting into buying that first home. It does. It goes step-by-step. Step. Most, most of the steps actually have a worksheet. So it's, you know, it's a tracking tool rather, like I said, for example, the first step is know your credit. Well, the worksheet that goes with it tells you how to pull your credit for free. It gives you a space to, you know, track what day I pulled it. If I choose to pay for it to get the actual FICO score, you know, what that was. And then you have a space to take notes. Rather it's, you know, I seen something on my credit that I don't recognize that. Or, you know, oh, I, on this credit bureau, it's showing this, but this one, it's showing that. So it's giving you those tools to track that you can always refer back to. So even if you're on step five and you know what? I still got some questions about that. Or when I go sit down with my lender, I'm going to bring my workbook and, hey, I seen this on my credit. Do you see this? You know, or what are your recommendations on that? So it's giving you the tools, literally, you know, 13 steps, but to refer back to it and to track what's going on, track the information. Because a lot of people get overwhelmed in the process because they're not taking good notes. They don't know what to be tracking, what questions to be asking, or what information to be, you know, taking down. Now, that's dope. This is an actual workbook. So people, listen, she's not only guiding you through the steps, the 13, a 13-step process to working towards getting home. She's giving you the space to put your notes in, your references, so you can go back and look at it. It's an actual workbook. Why did you decide to, to, to design it that way? I'm interested. I, I wrote it that way just because my own, like I said, my own personal experience buying a house as well as my clients. I think it's easy that, you know, if I sit down with the lender today and we're talking, I'm going to remember what you're saying today. But in yeah. two days, you know, oh, man, I forgot what they said. Or, you know, if I'm at home and I, something pops up and I have a question, let me jot that down in my workbook. So the next time I talk to my lender, I'm going to know what I need to ask you. You know, hey, I seen this. I have a question about this. And I think so many people get, like I said, overwhelmed because they're not taking good notes or they got, you know, just scrap pieces of paper around that they forgot this or whatever, where you have one book, like I said, that has all the information, but it also has a space for you to take the notes that are personal to your own situation. Rather, it's, you know, I talked to this lender and they told me that, or I talked to this down payment assistant, you know, and they told me these were the requirements or this program I'm interested in getting more information on. You have one place to track everything. Nice. Now, for the people that are listening that are now interested, where can they find this book? They can purchase the book on my website. It's www.theworkbookshop.com. It does come in a printed format or an ebook format. Okay. That's dope. Now, do you have any upcoming projects, seminars, anything that you want to promote? Um, right now, I, I'm really just doing, um, you know, more local um, real estate work. And then I'm doing some some marketing things that are coming up that I can't actually disclose right now. Um, one of them will be an actual workshop coming up. I'm going to start hosting it in Houston. And basically, the workshop is going to be based on, again, I'm an actual homeowner. Yes, I'm a real estate broker, but I'm a homeowner. I'm not telling you about something I haven't personally done. 
and it's going to give people the opportunity to, you know, talk to me personally about what they have going on or, you know, hey, can you tell me what I need to do on this? So it's giving them the opportunity to ask those questions. A lot of people have questions and they're afraid to ask them. Yeah. So you guys make sure you go over to the workbookshop.com. Are you going to, well, I know eventually, eventually you're going to let the people know when those things that you can't disclose right now are coming, but y'all make sure y'all go over there and y'all keep checking for that. Cause this is, this is a, I think I'm gonna have to, even though I'm already in the home, I'm interested in just seeing what's in this book myself personally after talking to you. So uh, before we get get out of here, you got anything else you want to add? Um, no, like I said, that it's it's an awesome book. Um, I got the book reviewed prior to publishing it by people of different ethnicities, different ages, some that are homeowners, some that are not. And to just make sure I really, you know, touch on those things that you want to know. You don't want to get into the process and be, you know, surprised by anything. Coming into it, the more information you have, the smoother the process is going to go. And the better you're going to be able to get to your ultimate goal. Awesome. Y'all make sure y'all go over and y'all check her out and y'all go get that book. Uh, once again, Rakesha, thank you for taking time out to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right. And thank you, each and every last one of y'all that tune in to DeVille DI's Thoughts by DeVille DI, not just on Wednesdays, but on Mondays and Fridays, just so you remember. We do social media, not social media, but society and culture talks on Mondays. And on Fridays, we do the Growing Up DeVille series where I'm telling you stories about my life that I think you'll enjoy. Make sure y'all come back and y'all check that out. And we're out of here.